Good morning, everyone. Um, I know we've, we've shown that before in church, and some of you have seen it online, but I wanted to make sure that we put it up there again, just to kind of remind ourselves of what it is we've been talking about over the last couple of months now. It's, it's been a while that we've been looking at Ntebo and her story and what she's been doing out in Maluti, and we're constantly asking ourselves the question, what can we do to, to get involved? And so last week, we began talking about this seriously, and then we gave you some cards and gave you the chance to to give up or match some kind of luxury this week, write down the value of whatever that is, and then pledge that towards Fountain of Hope. Remember last week we spoke uh, out of the book of James, and we were asking ourselves the question, what is it that is, that is pure and that is good religion? And what is it that the Father requires of us? And we said it's one thing for us to say we want to abstain from the sinfulness that is in the world, but what the scripture actually says is that it says to actually first go and look after orphans and widows. Those who are in need. That's what, that's what James had to, had to say about what pure and good religion was. And so we asked ourselves, if, if previously when, when James has said, you know, the, the scriptures is something that we need to, to read and understand and then walk away from and apply. And if we don't do that, it's as crazy as if someone were to walk up to a mirror and see their face, and then turn around and immediately forget what they look like. So when they turn around and look in the mirror again, they go, that's me, that's, that is me, I thought that was me. No one does it, no one wakes up in the morning and goes, what, gee, okay, sometimes, <laughs> there are those mornings. Most people wake up in the morning and go, that's pretty much what I expected to see. Because you remember, you remember what you look like. So we spoke about that last week, and we said, if we're going to apply the scriptures, we're going to have to do what they say, but if we walk away and forget, it's as crazy as someone who forgets what they look like in a mirror. So the challenge was for us to then go and actually do something in giving towards Fountain of, of Hope. And as I was thinking about this, and as we, we preached through these three things that you see on the wall behind us over the, the last couple of weeks before, before last week, we were talking about what it means for us to be a church that would love God and others, lock arms in fellowship and in community, and live like Christ. And when you think about this, it's actually the most perfect way for us to apply these three things. If we're to say that this is what we are as a church and who we are and, and what we want to, what's up? Good to see you. Hey. <laughs> Sorry. I just saw an old friend. You know, like when you see it and then you're like, ah, oh, good. It's good to see you. Um, but, but now you totally threw me. Yeah, now we all have to see. You should wave. No, don't do that. It's embarrassing. Everyone's looking at you anyway. It's fine. But when we think of these three things, to, to love God and to lock arms, and to, to live like Christ. If we really were to apply these things, and here's the thing, outside the walls of this church, I know it seems a little bit crazy, but if we were actually to go outside of the walls of these churches and to do this, I can't help but think that this fountain of hope, this ministry that has begun that we've said we want to latch onto this, is something that we can, we can totally pour all of our love into. Locking arms with people that we may never, ever, ever meet. And living like Christ. If Christ were here today and Christ were living in our community and, and he, was, he was moving around and he was seeing what was going on. And if this need was made available to him. I mean, I can't say what he would do. But I can say this, that he would do something to help people. Especially those who have begun working towards helping those who are in need. And so I can't help but think to live like Christ is to look after each other in this church but then to look outside and see the needs that are made available and for us to actually go and, and do something about it. 
And so we're going to look in the, in the book of Acts in just a second. And in the back of your mind, I want you to think about the, these things of loving God, locking arms, and living like, like Christ as we, as we get into the scripture. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to ask you guys, have you ever seen or experienced something that after you took part in it, you, you received some kind of benefit? So in other words, have you ever done something over a certain period of time, and then turn around and went, there was benefit in that. I think we, we probably all have done something like that before. But let me ask you this. Have you ever done something and experienced the benefits, and then for some reason at some point you just stopped doing it, even though you wished you could? So let me give you some examples. What about studying? And I'm immediately thinking, I'm in my trick, I'm sitting at my desk, and, and the, the science finals are coming, and I know I need to study for it. Because once upon a time, I had studied before. And when you study over a period of time, you see the benefits of it. You begin to learn more information, so when the exam comes, you can then, you can put it out there, and you can write the answers down. We know it's true. When you learn, you understand. When you understand, you can answer the questions, and you can get the marks, right? It's not difficult. But any of you have been in a learning situation like that, have found a point in your life, I know this is true, where you've gone to sit down and you're just going, I just can't. Oh, I just, I just don't really want to. I know the benefit's there, but it's hard for me to actually apply what I know and actually do this. I actually went to Ryan's house and I went, Ryan, feed my brain with your brain and the things that you know. And he went, all right, Dan. So you know, and he started the most basic level. You know how this works. And I went, No. He was like, oh, sorry, <laughs> it's going to be a long exam for you. But I, I found myself sitting, getting ready for science, and the books were there, and I had the information from Ryan and my teachers and a whole bunch of other things, and all I wanted to do was burn stuff. Seriously, I just wanted to light things. I remember thinking, what if I took a roll of toilet paper and then put half, if any of you have done this, it's pretty cool, put half of it at like the end of the toilet, flushed it, watched it roll, and then light it. Which would burn quicker? And because I had an ensuite bathroom, I have to confess, I tried it, and it was fantastic, and I don't regret it. I do regret not studying. But in my mind, getting down to study seemed like the last thing in the world. Though I knew I had to do it, all I wanted to do was burn stuff. Some of you have had this before. You just want to burn stuff. Or maybe, maybe not. But maybe you've, you've had that time to get down to study, and you go, I should really spend time on this. And you're just like, I, I can't. My brain just doesn't want to do it. I can't force myself into doing it. Or what about something like, dieting. We know, it was like, mm, preach it. We know, we know what we should eat. And yet sometimes we find ourselves being drawn to the thing that we shouldn't eat. I shouldn't eat that entire red velvet cake from Woolworths because what will happen at the end of it is I'll have a sore stomach. It's like me on Friday night after youth. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. So what do we do, Ian? We go to Steers and we buy a liter of apple juice and a packet of chips. And you consume it as fast as you can. In my mind, I'm going, I shouldn't be doing this. But I am. And it's going down. And Rowan's looking at the labels of foods. And he's like, hmm, I think I will find the healthy choice. And I'm going, I should be more like Rowan. But I'm not. And I'm just eating and I'm eating. And I know that as a result of a bad choice of what I put in my mouth, there's going to be a bad effect later. And I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, I don't feel good. Why? Because I've just, I've done something that I shouldn't do, even though I knew what this, the outcome would be. What about exercise? We know that we should probably exercise at some point. Those of us who have exercised over a period of time see the benefit. We, we get a little bit better at it, so we get a little bit better at it. And three months down the line, we look back and we go, I can see a difference. I've got more energy. I'm a little bit stronger. I'm a little bit fitter. But at some point, 
we all have stopped doing the thing we know we should do, even though we desperately think now we should, we should be doing that thing. Some of you are sitting here right now going, I really should exercise this week. I'm going to exercise this week. And next week, Sunday, you're going to go, I knew I said, I said last week I should, but this week, really, really, I will. Because we know the benefit that is to come, yet somehow we find ourselves being drawn away from it and doing something else. And it seems a little bit crazy that that happens, but it does. And it happens in the Christian life as well. And I find myself so many times looking at the Scriptures, seeing the promises of God and what He has for us, and he says, if you do this, then this will happen. And I think, so then why is it that I don't do that? And I find myself doing something completely different, and I don't get what it is that God has promised me. And so when we look into the book of Acts today, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see that God says, if you do this, then this is something that's going to happen. This is something that you can expect. And this is something that I know when we start to talk about it, you guys are going to go, I I agree with this, because you've all experienced this to some degree, some of you more than than others. But this is something that you you understand to be true. But if we could make this the theme of our lives and and the flavor of everything that we do, I, I think there would be an incredible blessing and outcome for all of us if we would just do the thing that we believe God says he'll bless us if we do it. And so I'm going to show you what that is in just a second. But before we get there, I want you to go to the book of Acts. And we're going to go to chapter 20. And I'm not going to throw these first couple of verses up on the screen because I want you guys to, to have your Bibles. And so I'm kind of baiting you into this. We'll put some verses up just now. But since you have your Bibles, then you'll look down at your Bible because we want to see where this is. We want to be involved in God's Word. We want to see what it says and then hopefully turn around and apply this to our lives. But here's where we find ourselves in in Acts chapter 20, we're with uh, the Apostle Paul. So we're kind of halfway through the book of Acts. And Paul has been traveling around, and he is teaching, and he's preaching. He's going to people's homes. He's, he's uh, healing people. He's doing a whole bunch of this, this stuff that he just did. This was his life. And in, in chapter 20, we see him. He's, he's around the Mediterranean area, and he's kind of heading up over towards Macedonia, and he's gone down to Greece and I make it, made his way back. And all along the way, he's teaching and he's preaching and he's encouraging the churches that he has planted. This is now his third missionary journey. And he's, he's going around and he's doing all these things. Um, sometimes in the beginning of, of chapter 20, he finds himself at a, at a house. He's now making his way down to, to Jerusalem, but he's stopping at all these ports along the way. And a ship stops and he's, he's at this house and he, he goes in and he begins to preach. And he's preaching one of those monster sermons. You know, like when a guy gets up to speak and you're like, this is going to be a long one. I just know. So you settle into the chair and you're just like, I got to, I got to make it through the sermon today. It was one of those. And Paul is preaching a monster of a sermon. So monster of a sermon that one of the guys listening, sitting by the window, begins to kind of doze off. And as soon as I said that, everyone lifted their heads because you're like, I'm not dozing off. I never doze off in church. This one guy starts to doze off, he's speaking, and he's going on and on. And I don't know how you do that. This is Paul. He's preaching. It's incredible. Imagine his stories. But this is a monster of a sermon. So he begins to fall asleep, and, and eventually he does. And he falls asleep, and he falls out the window, and he dies. It's there. Read it. In the, through verse 7, you can read it when you get home. It's the craziest thing. Paul's preaching, and he's going at it. The guy falls asleep, falls out the window, he dies. So what does Paul do? He runs downstairs with everybody. He gets down there, and he revives the guy, and they're all freaking out, and he's like, oh, he'll be okay. Next minute, he, Paul gets back up, and instead of like being, okay, let's call it a night. It's just, it's too much now. This is too much. People are dying because of my preaching. Let's just, let's call it a day. He runs back upstairs, 
and then they say they break bread, which means to eat, and so they eat, and then he preaches, and he preaches throughout the entire night. He just keeps going. This is who Paul was. This is the kind of man that he was, going from house to house, synagogue to synagogue, just in open public places, parks, wherever he could find people to preach the gospel because this was something he believed he needed to do. And so in chapter 20, we find himself heading down towards uh, Jerusalem. But just before he kind of leaves this one region, he's, he's kind of on the edge where, where Ephesus is. And so he says, he says, go and call some of the leaders from Ephesus. I want to tell them something. I want to just kind of give them just a few more things before I go. We're going to read in just a bit. He says, this is the last time you're going to see me, and we're going to talk face to face. So you can imagine what he's about to say is pretty important. And so chapter 20, verse 18, let's read there. He says, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived among you the whole time I was with you from the, the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. And so Paul says to them, he says, you know what kind of man I am. I mean, we've just heard like he just, he's preaching and he's going from place to place and he's healing people who are dying because of his sermons, but he's just, he's just going on and on and on. This is his third missionary journey through there. And he says, I'm even doing this at the risk of the, the plotting of the Jews to kill me. Imagine for a second that every decision you made and everything you decided to do, every time you decided to step out in faith and do what God said you were going to do, a group of people were making up a new plan to catch you and to kill you and to get rid of you. He says, I served the Lord while I was with you. Uh, and then he says this. He said um, in, in, in verse 20, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be, of, uh, that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house, house to house. Verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I mean, think about this for a second. This is Paul. He, he's kind of, with Peter they've, they've, and, and the other apostles, they've, they've gone out and they've started this, this thing called the church. And there's this swell, there's this following, this uprising of people against the governments and, and, the, and the leaders of the time. You know, if that was me, I think I'd probably get a big head about this. You know, you're the guy that when you go to preach, people either love you or they hate you. But either way, you're gathering this crowd. Every time you step into a church, people are like, it's Paul. Look who it is. But what does he say? He says, I haven't hesitated to preach publicly. I'm not afraid of what the Jews will do to me. I'm not afraid of what the religious leaders will do to me. Even going house to house. So it wasn't just that he would rock up at the big crusades and preach to all these people. It was that he was willing to go from house to house because the people needed to know. What does he say? He says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. He says, that is what people need, so I will do whatever it takes to do it. Whether it's preaching in public places or going to people's houses, I'm going to do it. Verse 22, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Listen to this, 23. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships face me. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, guys, but here's what I know. Every time I step off the ship onto dry land, the Holy Spirit warns me that I could be thrown in prison today, that hardships are coming today. But what does he do? He goes ahead and he does it. However, listen to this, I consider my life worthless, uh, worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. People need to know who Jesus is. They need to know what the gospel of grace is. 
And so compared to, to that, my life is really worth nothing. Because people need to know this. There's a need out there. And this, then this is what he says. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He says, none of you who I'm talking to right now, you guys are never going to see me again. But this is who I am. And this is what I've done. And these are the, the needs of the people that I have met over time. He says, you guys are never going to see me again. And so he continues to impart to them some kind of wisdom as the leaders of the church and the people who are going to need things. Imagine now, this is the last time you're going to see a friend or, or someone that you've been doing life with. And you say, if, if I could say anything to you face to face, this is the, this is the last time I'm ever going to see you. I'll be able to write you letters, but last time I'm going to be able to look into your eyes and tell you this. What would you say? And this is what Paul had to say to these people. And so the next couple of verses, he talks about warning the leaders of the church against those who would come and would try and destroy it, about people who would teach false doctrine. He says, you hold on to the church and you love this church and you men, you lead this church in a way that it does incredible things. And so this is what he imparts to them. And so we're going to jump down and we're going to pick up in, in verse 34. Now imagine if there's anything that you could say to a bunch of leaders of churches, what, what would it be? What would be the thing that, that you would say to encourage them, to instruct them? You've, you've helped build their church. You've seen what they have done. You, you know what God can do. And so you come before these people and you say, here is what I want you guys to know. What is he going to talk about? Is he going to talk about how you structure your, your buildings and, and this is how you create programs to get people to come and get people to stay and get people to serve? What, what, what is he going to say? Is he going to talk about money? Is he going to say, well, you, you, need to, you need to set up these accounts and you need to do this? What is he going to say to these people? You've got to think it's going to be pretty important. It's the last time he ever sees them. So now in verse 34, he says this. Now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So he says to them, now it's up to you and God. It's your time. I'm not going to be the one kind of going in between and help. It's, it's you guys now. And I'm going to pray that God is going to take you and he's going to do incredible things through you. So, so now it's up to you and God and it's up to you and the word for you guys to get into the word because this is what he says it'll do for them. Can build them up and give them inheritance among those who are sanctified. So he says, so, so, so be connected to God and get involved in the word because it's going to build you guys up and it's going to make you into the people that you need to be and then give you an inheritance. There's, there's some kind of reward that's coming down the road because of, for those who, who read the word and are involved in the word and, and see what it says. And then like we said, what, last week? Actually do it. Actually do what the word says. In verse 33, he throws this in, and it doesn't seem to make any sense until you kind of read it within the context and what's going on. But verse 33, he then says this, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. It kind of sounds a little bit strange, right? He's like, you rely on God, and you read the word, and it'll build you up and give you an inheritance. And I have never, I've never wanted your stuff. I've never wanted your gold or silver or even your clothes. Can you imagine the guy sitting there going, whoa. Paul, no, no one's accusing you of like coveting our, our things. It just kind of seems a little bit out of place, right? Why would he all of a sudden, in the middle of this charge to, to follow God and to follow the word, suddenly go, and by the way, I didn't, I, it wasn't me like that was looking at your stuff. That, that's, that's not me. It kind of seems a little bit out of place. And I was trying to figure out exactly, you know, what is it that Paul is saying in this? 
And so you read a little bit further in the scriptures, it begins to make a little bit more sense. But really it was on Thursday when I was sitting right there and we were praying with a couple of the pastors. And one guy, Pastor Dave Morris from Toti, he's praying and he's just asking God to bless our church and bless their church and do incredible things through, through you guys and through the church in Toti. And uh, we're just, we're having a good time of prayer. And then he begins to pray for us individually. He says, you know, God, would you keep, would you keep us faithful to your word and would you build up good families amongst the leaders? And then he starts talking about the people and, and saying, would you give this to the people? And would you, would you help the people to, to grow up in the church, to, to be who they, they are? And then he said, help us not to covet the luxuries that others have. And I began to think, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, why, why are you praying that now? And he began to say, help us to be content with everything you have given us. Help us not to long for the things and the blessings that you have given to others. Let us only be content with what we have. And I suddenly began to think, isn't that exactly what Paul's talking about there? Paul's introducing this idea where he's saying, I'm content with what I have. He's simply saying, listen guys, I have never wanted what you have. You guys have cool stuff, that's fine. And I'm glad that you have it. He says, I've never wanted those luxuries that you have. And I want you to know, and I'm saying you this because... I'm, I'm content. I'm content with what God has given me. So let me just ask you for a second. Imagine if you could honestly say this morning, I never want anything else that anyone else has. I never want to covet that thing that someone else has. In other words, I'm completely content with everything I have in my life right now. Imagine if we could say that to God. God, I don't, I don't need that stuff. I don't need that luxury. I don't need that. I'm completely content now. And a whole bunch of us would be able to go, yeah, I think I can say that. But what if, the luxury or the, thing that, or the things that are surrounding you now are taken away from you. And slowly but surely, you're stripped of, of earthly possessions and luxuries and these things. Are you still able to say, God, I don't want that other stuff. I'm completely content with what I have and who I am and what you have chosen to give me. So let me ask you, what would it actually look like if you and I were completely content with everything that God has given us and we didn't feel the need to go and get what others have? I have a feeling it's what happens in the next verse. So I'm not covered in any silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my, my own needs and the needs of my companions. In other words, I didn't wish I had what was yours. Rather, I gave you what was mine. He says, I, I never wanted any of your stuff. And he's not just talking to these guys. He's saying, I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't cover other people's things. And, and what comes out of a life like that is, is a man like Paul who can say, rather, you know what I do? Is, is I work with my hands, and the work that I do is to supply my needs so I can survive, and the needs of others. You see, this is how Paul lived. Paul lived with the view of others in mind. He lived thinking of other people and, and what their needs were all the time, and that's how he chose to live. That's how he chose to work. That's how he chose to do life. Now, is he talk, what kind of work is he talking about here? I mean, he's a preacher, right? Isn't, isn't, he, isn't that what he, what he was, a missionary? That, that's what he did. What kind of work could he do? Well, to help him along the way, financially, he was also a tent maker. So no doubt, he's actually talking about giving financially to the needs of people around him. Imagine that. The missionary rocks up and goes, are you supposed to be supporting me? You guys are struggling. I see your needs. And while I was working, and while I was working with my hands and doing, <laughs> that's how you make tents. And while I was working with my hands, I was thinking of you guys, and so here is what I think you need. 
You guys, you take that. That's yours. But his job was to preach the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And so what did we just read about? We read about him preaching in public places, going house to house, talking to people and saying, this is what you need. And when he read the scriptures or recited the scriptures, no doubt he would have thought about the church in Ephesus or the church in, in, in Colossae or, or the people in Rome who needed to hear this. And so as he studied the scripture, he says, this is what you need, and so this is what I'm going to give you. He says, when I work, I think about you. And when I do life, I think about, I think about you and I think about people other than myself. Other than myself. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm giving. And I'm giving to them. Verse 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Never stop showing the example of what it was to, to work with the view of others in mind. And he mentions helping the, the weak. And, and so at this point, I stop and I think about Entebbe. And I think, like Paul, when she wakes up in the morning and she gets her son ready for school, and I, I don't know if, if her husband is there or if he's on one of his long journeys transporting people back and forward from Cape Town. I, I, I don't know. But, but she gets her son, sends him off to school. Then she goes off to the clinic and she works as a nurse to help dying people. That's what she does. You think, wow, that's an incredible life that she lives. But you know why she does that work? She does that work because of who she has in mind. The 120 plus people dying in their homes who can't even get to the clinic. I'm telling you now, there is no way she spends a second of her day not thinking about those people, not thinking of them, having them in her mind while she's doing all of this. And so when she's done with the work, and when she has enough money to supply her family with, with food and what they need, she then goes and she helps 120 others. And she pours it into getting stones to, to build a hospice. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. In everything, in everything, that's how Antebo lives. That's how some of, some of you live. And I know that's how some of you live because I've even experienced some of the blessing from, from you guys. And we're talking... I think what Paul is talking about here is he's not just talking about financial contribution to people. I think he's talking about emotional support and relational support and giving of your time, giving of resources, whatever it is, whatever it is, to be generous to those around you. And so I think that's kind of how Entebbe sees her life. And we're going to throw up the last section of the scripture there. He says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of Lord Jesus, sorry, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So here it is. Here's the truth that you and I need to understand, that we do understand, that if we were to apply, would drastically change our lives and give for us a blessing now, I think it's far beyond anything that we've really experienced before. This is what it is. The words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So, so how does Entebbe see her work for the people in her community? This is what she says. This is my gift, and you've heard this before. She says this. What I do for the people, it is my gift from God. Think about that for a second. The way she sees what she does is a gift of that, that God has given to her. And as he gives her the opportunity to give back, 
She finds a blessing in it and she just keeps going back and she keeps going back and she keeps going back. And she says, this is my gift. God is blessing me through this as I get to give to others. And so Jesus said that the blessing of giving far outweighs the blessing of receiving. And it really doesn't seem to make sense because of the world that we live in, right? I mean, it's about getting as much as I can for myself. But I'm telling you now, Every single one of us, I hope, have been in a situation where we gave just because we could. And we felt the blessing of that. Let me ask you, have you ever seen a need and seen somebody or, or a, a group like this or whether it be giving to, to church or whatever it is, and whether it be giving through, through uh, your, your finances or your time or relational, emotional support, whatever it is, giving of something. Have you ever given and then what happens after that? You give to them, and then suddenly you turn around and you go, oh, actually, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I'm sorry, we made a mistake. I'm going to have to take that back. I immediately regret this decision. Um, clearly, I wasn't thinking straight. You understand, because now I feel terrible that I've actually not, now gone and given something away. No, what do you do? You, you give, even if it's cost you something, even if it's taken some kind of effort, and you think, I don't know if I really can afford to do this, but you've given it, and then you've turned around, turned around and you've gone, that is an incredible blessing that I got to give to them. But then you know what I'm talking about when you go, and now I get to receive the blessing from God of understanding that I got to give away. Throughout the scriptures, we continue to see this idea where God says, you know, I love a cheerful giver. And God says, I, 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 I'm blessing the one who's giving. Even those who give, it will be given back in return and even multiplied on top of that. So Paul could have preached that. We could preach that. We have preached that before. But what did Paul say? He simply said, you know what it's like to get stuff, right? It's pretty cool. Birthdays, Christmas, it's excellence. You, you, you get pretty cool stuff. And you like that, don't you? Yeah, we do. Paul says, let me tell you something. It is far more blessed. The blessing of giving far outweighs the blessing of receiving. He's speaking in the most simple language that we can possibly understand. You want to be blessed by God. He says, well, then look out for the needs of others. Look out for the weak. Look out those who are struggling. He said, this is what Jesus said. He said, receive blessing when you give. So let me ask you, do you believe this to be true? I think we do. I think even outside of church circles, and I think we were talking about this at, at lunch on Sunday. We were talking about how the world and, and, and countries where there's really no Christian influence, they are so big on charity and, and giving away. Why? Because people, there's something inside of people that says, I like that idea where I get to give. I mean, we were talking about that and we're saying, there's something in there that I like to be able to give to, to other people. And, and yet within the church, God goes, yeah, I, I built that into all of you. But here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look out for the needs of others. In fact, I want you to live looking out for those needs, even as you work to supply your own needs and then for their needs. And then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you. And you say, well, Dan, how does that work? I don't know. I don't know how God is going to choose to bless us. I don't know how he's going to choose to bless this church through giving to this fountain of hope. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know how he's going to choose to bless you individually. But listen, if anyone is going to do the blessing and there's anyone that I want to receive blessing from, it's not from my own abilities to gather what I can and receive from other people what I can receive, but it's to get from God who says it's better to give than to receive. In fact, in fact, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. 
So we believe this? I think we do. Do we live like this? Sometimes. But imagine what would happen is if this became kind of like the theme and the flavor of our lives. Like Paul, we said, in everything, in everything, I work with my hands. I work with my heart and my mind, and the whole time I'm constantly looking out for the needs of the people around me and the needs of those around me. And, and not only do I look out for the need and recognize the need, but he says, then I give. And you know what happens? God chooses to bless. And I can guarantee you he does. Not because of what I say, but because of what the scriptures say. You know what happened to Paul after, after he, he spoke to these guys? He, um, he did. He made his way down to Jerusalem. And he's kind of heading down there, and, and, and he gets there. And um, over time, he begins to preach a little bit more. And then he gets arrested. And then he gets put on trial. There's a whole bunch of people surrounding him and, and wanting to kill him and put him in jail. And again, like he said, every time I arrive in a new city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison or hardship awaits. And it was, it was awaiting him. And people were saying to him, don't go, don't go, don't go. But he had just said to the leaders of a church, one of the most important things he could have said to them face to face, he said, it's more blessed to give than receive. So I'm going to give. And he gives of his life to go to Jerusalem and to preach and to encourage these people. So he's put on trial and eventually they decide they're going to ship him off to Rome. And on the way to Rome, you know the story, he gets shipwrecked and a whole bunch of crazy stuff happens. And, but God ends up saving him. And he lives in, uh, in Rome for two years and writes some more letters and encourages some more people. But in the book of 2 Timothy, which is the last letter he ever wrote, this is now towards the end of his life, and guys at youth, we, we read this on, on Friday night, so you'll be familiar with this. But listen to what he says. He's speaking to a young friend of his, and he's kind of rehearsing this portion of his life, or his entire life, his, his ministry that he's been following Christ as a disciple. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, let me just read this for you. He says this. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, at the, um, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which God, the righteous judge, will, will reward me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So what was Paul's life about? Paul's life was about looking out for the needs of others and then supplying it and doing something about it. And you say, but so he went to Jerusalem and he was put on trial and he was put in prison and then he was shipwrecked and all this stuff. Where's the blessing in that? Well, let me ask you, have any of you ever got to sit down and share your faith with somebody? Say, this is what Jesus Christ did on the cross and to just kind of see a little bit of understanding and they go, you mean Jesus Christ did that for me? Yes. I'm telling you now, there is no blessing that is greater than that on this earth. And that is how, that is, I believe, how God chose to, to bless Paul and keep him going from place to place as he would preach, as he'd get persecuted, and he'd see people change. And he'd get up and he'd go to the next place, and he'd preach, he'd get persecuted, and he'd see people change. And he'd get shipwrecked, and he'd even see people change in that. And God chose to continually bless him throughout his life until he gets to the very end. And he says, you know what, Timothy? I mean, poured out. My life is about to finish, and I'm about to die. But here's what's coming for me. I'm going to stand before God, and he is going to present me with this crown. And there's this blessing that is coming my way for all of eternity. Why? 
Why? Because he was the kind of man who looked out for the needs of others and he gave and God chose to bless him. And one day for all of us, there is a blessing that is coming. We may never fully realize it in this life, but one day my hope is that we'd get to glory and God would say, you know how you, how you gave up your time and your effort and your resources and you invested in people's lives. Let me tell you, let me tell you what that means to me. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give to you. What is he going to give to us? He's going to give us the kind of inheritance, right, that we spoke about in the beginning. And Paul says to them, you hang on to God and you hang on to his word. There's an inheritance coming. Do what it says. By the way, here's what I have to say. And here's what we read in the word. Give to the people who need. And God will choose to bless. Imagine if throughout our week this week, that's, that's how we worked, as we sat at our desk or as we were teaching or as we were going to class, whatever it was we were doing, we were constantly thinking, what about them in church? What about them at school? What about them at work? What is it that I can do? What is it I, that I can give to them? And constantly be aware of what is around us and that we would actually live out what we say we believe and what we see in the Scriptures, that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so last week, we, we handed out some cards to you and you could, like we said at the beginning, either choose to give up a luxury and write down the value of whatever that was, or you could choose to um, still go and enjoy your coffee at Woolworths because who's giving that up, let's be honest. But then let's match that and let's write that down. And it's just a, it's a, basically an easy way for us to be able to say, we want to sacrificially give up something for those who, who don't have. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. As we head out after, uh, once I'm finished here today, on the left you'll see some envelopes, see some pens. And if you have done that this week and you want to contribute to Fountain of Hope, you can take your card and you can put your money in there or you can send, you know, you can send your money straight through to our, our bank account, however you want to do that, but just put Fountain of Hope on it. And, and let, me, let me challenge you this week. Some of you are sitting here going, I'm fired up about this because this is how I live. I live looking out for the needs of others. But some of you are sitting here going, I don't know about this. I don't know about this, you standing up in church and preaching about giving and receiving and blessing. I don't like that. Let me tell you, I don't like talking about it except for this. That God says he's going to bless us if we do it. So why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't we talk about it? Why wouldn't we let this be what our lives are about? And so give and then see how God chooses to bless and what he will do. So there's also some more cards you can grab on the way out. We're going to give you one more week and take some extras. Remember we said we wanted to give you to your friends and challenge them. Say, I did this for a week. You should try this for a week. This is an amazing cause. Put them onto our Facebook page so they can see what this ministry is all about and who Intebo is. But we want to do something incredible in just this, this little area of ministry in the fountain of hope by God's grace. But we don't just want it to stop there. We want our lives to be characterized through generosity and looking out for the needs of others and the people around us. And the reality is, if we believe the scriptures to be true, and they are, God says, I'm going to choose to bless you. It's far blessed for you to, to give than to receive. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. God, we are so grateful for your word. We thank you that as we even looked last week, that, that your word has the ability to change us and to and to make us into people that you want us to be if we just continually look into it and continually apply it to our lives. Father, we thank you that as Paul was encouraging his friends, so this is the last time I'm going to see you guys ever. 
So you hang on to God until you hang on to his word. So Father, I just pray that you would help us to hang on to your word, that it would build us up and, and as a result of applying what it says, build for us an inheritance that one day we'll get to enjoy with you in glory. God, we pray that you would help us in every area of life to apply the things that we know to be true that give us benefits. God, that, that whether it be from everything as simple as, as exercise to studying to being able to do what it is that, that we can do, to, to work hard, that, that God, we would do these things, that we would we'd see the benefit in it. But God, more importantly than that, that we would look at the promises in your word and the things that you have said to us. Father, the simple truth of it's more blessed to give than to receive. Father, if we really believe that, and if we really were to hang on to that, that God, that would become what we just do in our lives. God, we'd be able to see the blessing of giving to others. That God, you would choose to bless us because, just because we do. God, help us to understand that we're building for ourselves an inheritance one day that God, though, may we see, we, though we may see bits of the inheritance now, though we may see bits of the blessing now, we understand one day we get to claim that in glory as we stand before you. So Father, thank you for Fountain of Hope. We pray now that God, you had given Table and the, and the volunteers the strength they need day to day to give up so much to help the people who are so weak. Father, help us to know what we can do to help them. And then God, Help us to know what we can do to help our friends and family in this church. God, the people outside of this church. That God, we would see the need and that we'd be able to supply it. Father, we pray that you'd bless us. Give us the chance this week to do this. Maybe even for the first time or for the first time in a long time. That God, we would enjoy the blessing of giving rather than receiving. Father, we thank you that you gave the most incredible gift to us. That's the gift of your son. So Father, we pray that we'd continue to follow the example of you and of Christ and of Paul and of the people who have gone before us to give in incredible ways and receive the blessing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.